repeats a, a kind of a refrain, if you will. It has in a few places, and, and again, primarily in Achimois and Kedoshim and Emor, which Chazal saw in that as one of the mitzvahs, the Tariyak mitzvahs, as being a lav. And it's not just a encouragement, or it's not just a, um, a, a way of firming up other halachas, it's a separate mitzvah in itself. It's a separate mitzvah, but it's a very vague and ambiguous mitzvah. Because the mitzvah is counted amongst the Tariyak mitzvahs. And it's not Avod Zara per se. Avod Zara obviously has its own penalties. It's considered a lav, not to imitate the chukei hagoyim. Chazal subdivide that into two categories of chukei akum and darkei amori. We're going to focus more on chukei akum rather than darkei amori. Darkei amori is usually used when it refers to certain things of a magical, super, uh, superstitious nature that doesn't really have any basis in fact, very similar to our schoolers, but they don't quite work, and they may be related a little bit to magic and and or to Avodazar. I guess maybe a good example would be knock on what? Kaporis. Yeah, yeah, it's brought down if you look for white hens instead of that, the Dark Amori. Well, maybe a good example is knock on wood. A lot of people don't realize, but it's actually it's more than Dark Amori because it goes back to, to Avodazar. Simon of Rosh Hashanah, some people are, what? Keeping your fingers crossed. Okay, that's pretty direct. Again, the, the, the amount of examples are endless. So we're not going to really focus on Dark Amor, more on the Chukas Akum. problem, of course, with Chukas Akum is it's very, very vague. Don't follow the Chukas Akum. There's actually... Um, okay, we'll see. Let's start off with, and then we'll get later a little bit to the Parsha as well. Let's read the Rambam first as to how he applies it. The Rambam is on side two, and it's taken from Perakir Aleph, Hilchasav of the Zara, Ein Holchen Bechukais of the Kachoven, Veloy Medamin Lohen, Loy Bemalbush, Veloy Besar Ukiyotz Mohen. We do not follow the Chukais Akum, nor do we resemble them in terms of fashion of clothing or hairstyle fashions. And the third pasuk also, and then he has a fourth pasuk here. You shouldn't resemble them. Now this sounds like an encouragement to be like the Hasidim. Take a look what he says. A Jew should be apart, separate, and distinct and noticeable. The Malbushoi in his clothing The same way we don't resemble them and we're different from the Goyim in terms of our philosophy and our religion and our days and our character traits, our midos, everything about our spirituality is different. We should also not resemble them physically. That's what the mitzvah is. We should be separate from them. We should be separate from the goyim. And therefore, he gives now a few examples. You shouldn't wear clothing. 
here he kind of pulls his punches because he first starts off by saying don't resemble Goyim now he says don't wear anything that's distinct or, or that's exclusive to them we'll see then he talks about the hairstyles the long hair and different different types of haircuts that resemble Goyish haircuts he goes into the blurs whatever this is he also says do not architecturally this is for the architects amongst us don't build buildings the way the Goyim build buildings probably what does that mean I mean the way what does it mean don't copy their style so what exactly is the building that we're in right now uh, cathedral style if you're going to go make a shul with those points and what are they call steeples well I'm not sure exactly which styles are necessarily distinct that it looks like that but when you see a shul and you go to the young Israel of New Rochelle and you drive by it looks like a church because it was a church originally churches have very distinct styles they have a steeple in fact it's brought down for that reason um, don't resemble the Goyim it, it also brings down actually a um, that we shouldn't call people to prayer the way Goyim do which is why Yidin what? bells church bells are miyuchet to Goyim for that reason we don't have church bells or synagogue bells to call people to assembly because it becomes very much identified so that's the with how closely something becomes identified a steeple and that bell tower is very very um, distinctly identified with going other as I'm not sure I I, mean, I I was in Venice and I was in Rome and I was in uh, Florence the shul in Florence it but I'm not sure you know you have to really live amongst the uh, Muslims to know is this something that's miyuchet to there by the way it's brought down Allah the Chidor brings down that if you dress in Islamic style, you're not in violation of because I guess it's a monotheistic religion. I Christianity maybe is monotheistic. Lumai said so he says he says that resembling Muslims is not a violation of So maybe that's why there wouldn't be a problem with the I mean you go into most sukkahs. You go into most sukkahs. I always tie into this that you know you have hanging in a person's sukkah amongst his decorations you have the dome on the rock, the mosque. All of a sudden, like, oh, what's it doing in a sukkah? You wouldn't put a church, you know, across a tail there, but, and, and you have this moon and the crescent. People have it, and they don't even realize because it looks exotic. It doesn't look like it's a, uh, whatever. Stained glass windows is probably not so identifiable. Again, we have to see the parameters. Once you see the parameters, it, you, you won't ask all these questions. You'll be able to decide yourself. I'm just giving you an example of, of the steeple in terms of architectural design and the church bell in terms of the call to, to prayer. So that's why Ram says you shouldn't build like they do. And if you do so, this is a law that you can malchus on. He then gives the heter for Yisrael Shoyakorvla Malchus. Yisrael Shoyakorvla Malchus, and you have to go into their governmental bodies. And therefore, it would be embarrassing if you don't dress like them. You're allowed to dress both in terms of hairstyle and clothing style like the guy. They say, if asked the question, how can you violate a love in order to resemble the guy? 
Yisrael answers because Hatzol uh, Yisrael overrides this consideration. Can you cut your pace? Good question. According to the Beis Yosef, it should seem that you would be allowed to. For all, but obviously, based on the Beis Yosef's cheshman, for something that's less than merely um, salvation of Klal Yisrael, you wouldn't be able to do this. As we will see that the, I mean, the Bach, based on, on the principle of the Marik, which most Poiskim seem to follow, the kasha finds the chnishon because it's, it's it's not even a kasha then. In other words, if you're doing it, there's not no, no love that you have to override. We'll see. Uh, an interesting question that is very related to this issue, and we'll discuss it briefly because it's in the parsha and there's a gvaltig. There's a truth from Rav Moshe about it. Several truths, as well as a morale and. And the Meshachach that relates to this. The reason why I want to do it is because is because it's a very famous midrash, and it has halachic ramifications. Everyone knows in this week's parsha. The midrash is not in this week's parsha. The midrash is in a few places. It's in Eicho. It's in Shirashirim. It's in Parshas Emor. I have the quotation for Parshas Emor. Let's read it right away. On the first page, top left, Mishvil Dalut Devarim Nigalu Yisroli Mitzrayim. Pirkei Rebbe Lozer has it as three things. Pirkei Rebbe Lozer says it as three. Four reasons, four schuyos Klal Yisrael had for Gula. Loishenu Eshemam Veslushenam Vloyamu Loshen Harvul and Tzbenei Nechot Parat Beerva. What does it mean, Loishenu Eshemam? They didn't change their names. Ruvain Shimon. Nachsin, they came down to Mitzrayim, Ve'elish Mois, Bnei Sohab, Boy Mitzrayim, and that's the way this week's parsha begins. In any case, Shemois, of course, is Sefer Hagu'ula. We call Shemois. But, and from there we learn Shnaim, Mikkav, Echotargum, it's Rosh Tevis. But the Ve'elish Shemois, Bnei Yisrael, Loishin Weshmom, the schus for the Gu'ula of Shemois, the schus for Sefer Hagu'ula, is Shemois. That's what it is. One of the schuyas, and that's what says, These are the names. Says the Medrash, they came down, Ruvain and Shimon, they came up, Ruvain and Shimon. And the Medrash gives a few examples. Now, the notion of the Medrash here is a little bit corrupted. The Redal fixes it up a little bit. So I will read it based on the Redal's, um, um, fixing of the corruption of the text. They came down, Ruvain and Shimon, and they came up, Ruvain and Shimon. They didn't call they didn't call Yehuda Leo or Liani as it says, which the Radal says was a Roman name for Yehuda, right? Leo. Nor did they call Ruvain Rupa or Rubini, which uh, according to the Radal is either referring to the redness of the ruby or a Roman translation of Rupa to that extent. Or Yosef was Listus or something like that. And Binyamin was Alexander. No, 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 it's, it's a mistake. I, mean, that's, I, I changed it based on the Ridal. I couldn't put the Ridal in because it was... Yeah, you have to switch it a little bit. Likewise, Lashin was the Shoinam, as it says, Again, they spoke Ivris, etc., etc. They didn't change the names, they didn't change the language. As a result, if this is the main schus 
for Klal Yisrael to, to be able to have Gula, uh, there are a lot of Leons. I mean, there are a lot of Leos. I mean, uh, I, I don't, we don't want to talk about people in this room. Yeah, nah, I can't imagine such things. That's Mamish Goyesh. But even, the Medrash even says, these kind of names. Action is an interesting shaila in the in, in the Achrenim in the Paiskim, Ram Shik and others about whether when you get an Aliyah and your name is a translation of the Hebrew, whether you should be called up with the Loshan Lari, Yitzhak Isaac, Shlomo Zalman, you know, that you should only be called up Shlomo, not Zalman, only uh, Yehuda, not uh, Leoni or Leib or whatever. And same thing, Baruch Ber Tzvi Hersh. Um, Dovber, um, these kind of names. So there's a big shy as to whether that's even appropriate or not. But uh, again, the, the, I'm just pointing out some of the shyles that the police can deal with in this thing. But what about the fact that we're in violation of this tzibur? I, I want to go through a little bit of the Meshachachma here. This happens to be a very, very famous Meshachachma, although the part of the Meshachachma that we're going to go through is the first part, not the famous part. Oh, you'll see afterwards what the famous part of this Meshachachma is. First, let's take a look at the famous part, of the, uh, at the first part of the Meshachachma. This is a very important Nakuda. Just I'm trying to just emphasize the importance of, of the theme behind Chukas Agoy. Actually, before we do that even, let, let's just take a look at... No, let's do the Meshachachma first. Let's see how many... Uh, try doing things quickly. Because Klaliso was going into Golis for many years. Now you have to understand that, that we mentioned one aspect from this week's Parsha of There's another interesting thing in last week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayechi. Yaakov goes to great great length and and difficulty to make sure that he gets buried in Eretz Yisrael. We know how important it is to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. But I mean, the whole parish is really devoted very much to Yaakov Avinu's desire and command and the importance that he attached to burial in Eretz Yisrael. What's a shot in that? I mean, there's certain obvious things that we could all think of. But I mean, the, the parish is really devoted to it, almost like the whole the whole thrust of the parsha is that Yaakov is concerned to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. Even Yosef is concerned to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. Yet there's no mitzvah deraisa, nor mitzvah derabbanan to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. At most, it's an inyan. But what exactly is, is is the whole parsha about? It seems to be very important. So, Meshachachma puts together these two things from last week's parsha. This Meshachachma is a parsha of Chukaisai, but it relates to this past week's parsha Vayechi, this coming week's parsha. Which is, which is Shmois. We're right in between Tuesday. Ki kasher gozra chokmuel yoyna she yisrael yisnoid lubar tshonim rabim oid oid adzman asher chok kam ator alakis that we're going to come to our kula. So therefore, choshvo ifanim v'tachbulos asher yisrael iskaimu lugoi. It was important to come up with certain strategies that klal yisrael should not assimilate. They shouldn't mix and assimilate. The Apostolic says, If we mix with the Goyim, we assimilate, we learn from their deeds, and all of Judaism is lost, and Jewry is lost. We lose our national identity, as well as our religion. 
Actually, this was the theme that we spoke about a little bit last week. In terms of the Torah Shabbat Sav, Torah Shabbat the Torah Shabbat Sav was going to be, the Goyim were going to be shoyled on Torah Shabbat Sav and the Mizayif and Forged. The Torah Shabbat is what keeps us uniquely separate from the Goyim. Ki al pi hatvoram eilecha ki al pi hatvoram eilecha karati mochimrist because it was through the al pi hatvoram through the mouth of these words, and others through Torah Shabbat that Kodesh Baruch Hu makes the bris with Klal Yisrael that keeps us distinct, apart, and unique as Klal Yisrael. As a result, in going into Golis presented us with many great challenges, and therefore, the leaders of our nation wanted to make Yudorim and Siyogim, that we shouldn't drown in this in the waves of this uh, ocean sweeping over us when we're in exile. The first to teach us an approach. Yaakov was the first to teach us this concept, the concept of fighting assimilation by making boundaries and by making distinctions and making halachas and making us apart from the Goyim. This approach was Ovinu Yaakov Azokim. Asheroiz asheyikar asot barach sayom chishe b'ashem yiyah shivim ish b'goy chosak v'amitz k'mitzrayim melofnim if you have 70 people swallowed up in the womb of a powerful nation and society and culture like Egypt I mean, it's going to be bottle one in ten thousand. It's not one in sixty. It's one in ten thousand. Klaus will become bottle right in the time. Choshab tachbul of eitza, asher bonaviim tzuyonim shom b'bigdeim b'shmoiseim. Bigdeim, of course, is based on the fact that we find later on that the Jews had distinct garb. I should point out, is an interesting, is um, an interesting taratmima. Uh, he says over there, it says that when Moshe Rabbeinu told the Yidin, because Hashem told him to go ask from the Egyptians clothing and put it on your sons and your daughters. What's the job? Put it on your sons and daughters. Borrow clothing and you'll keep it. What do you mean put it on your sons and daughters? Because the clothing of the Mitzrayim wasn't very sneezing. They were like miniskirts. As a result, you can only put them on your little kids because then they'll be long enough. But you can't wear them yourself. But it also says later on that that, that, that because there, there was some Jewish distinct garb. Certainly the shameless, as we've already quoted from the Medrash. As a result of these guidelines, Klai Yisrael was distinct. Now if Yaakov would have allowed burial in Egypt, the reason why Yaakov was so concerned about burial in Eretz Canaan is an interesting insight. Because, you know, you don't hop exactly what Yaakov's concern was. It wasn't only concern for himself that he wanted to be buried in his ancestral burial plot. But he wanted Klai so to know how important the Eretz Canaan is so they should feel strangers in a strange land in Egypt and they shouldn't feel comfortable as citizens in the land of Egypt. This, what? Right, right. The Avodah Zohar is also mentioned. Right, right. That, that, yeah, but he said that 
those are also cheshbonus as to why, let's say, even temporarily or something, but but Yaakov Avinu, according to the Meshachachma, is laying down the framework of, of how a Jew should view himself in Golis. And therefore, if he would have been buried there, they would have felt comfortable, they would have settled in Egypt, and they would have felt this to be their land of their of, of their uh, their fatherland, if you will. And therefore, it would have all fallen apart, Hashem's promises. It would have been just a part of Mitzrayim. Says the That's why Yaakov was so strong. It wasn't just a personal thing because, I mean, he was so concerned for himself with the kingdom and what about his sons and his family. But he knew that he was representative. It was more than just a personal desire because, you know, it, it then becomes very selfish. I mean, okay, me, you got, got to take back under all conditions. Everybody else, he made Yosef swear. I mean, he made Yosef swear with Nikita Schaifetz, with Ashwuder uh, Eisen. And he made Yosef swear and everybody else and they go back right away. Don't keep me buried here. He wants nothing to do with Mitzrayim. So the whole thing was merely self-centered. Says the Meshachachma, he knew he represented Klal Yisrael. And everyone would be looking to him. And we know that the journey back to Eretz Yisrael from Mitzrayim was done as a replication of the later traveling of the Degolim when they carried the, the, the Mishkan with them, with the Arn. So Yaakov Vinu's Arn was like the Arn HaKodesh of the Nisiyah of Klal Yisrael through the wilderness, by even Soya Arn. In a sense, one paralleled the other conceptually. Where Yaakov Vinu said, if you want to be Zaycha, to come out like the Golem and to leave Eretzon to still be hidden, take me back now and for the next 200 years, you have to view yourself with this shi'ifa, this yearning to go back to Eretz Yisrael. As a result, they should know your fatherland is not here. The Jews in pre-war Germany referred to Germany as the fatherland. This is not your fatherland. As, right, that's the fatherland. They all referred, uh, we have German Jews amongst us here. They refer to Germany as the fatherland. Eretz Yisrael is Eretz Yisrael. It's a spiritual place. But this is my fatherland. Yaakovin said, no, your father is buried in Canaan, not in Mitzrayim. You may have Yosef as being the viceroy and the leader and you'll have a comfortable existence here. It's not your fatherland. It's not your fatherland. And that's why Yaakov wanted to be buried in Eretz Canaan. It's a Baltic insight. That's why Jews always felt strangers. They always felt uh, like the wandering Jew, temporary sojourners. Here he says a beautiful shot in the Haggadah. I mean, everybody reads this in the Haggadah. He says a beautiful shot. He says, Vayogorsham, he says, Klal Yisrael, Vayogorsham, in Eretz Mitzrayim, So how does everybody translate that? Everybody translates that to mean that it says It teaches us the lesson that when Yaakov came down, he only meant it temporarily. He didn't mean it as a permanent dwelling. It says Not that this teaches us that that's what Yaakov did. Yaakov 
did it in an oifen to teach L'doyre Doris this lesson. Vayogor shom nilamei shaloyor yakumin shtakei alogushom pirish nilamei L'doyres. It's a lesson for generations. V'chol golus v'golus. Ha'anhoga. Ha'anhoga is sheyedun shloyerdu l'shtakeya that we're not going to settle rak logur ad boy keitz ha'yumin. Now, don't feel like a citizen of the land. Even Yosef, who of course was the viceroy, he tells them, take me up also. He wanted them to know, we are not citizens of Egypt. We're here temporarily. He says, that's Pshat. This week's Parsha that the Egyptians felt that the Jews were thorns in their side because they felt them to be an alien imposition. They didn't feel comfortable. The Jews were not part of them. There was an alien superimposition on them. So ultimately, the Egyptians themselves felt that the Jews were not part of them. Jews were so different that the Egyptians felt uncomfortable with the Jews. Again, the Beis Halevi has a whole opposite approach, which I don't want to get into that now. I'm just... That's one of the famous statements in the beginning of Perkei Ovis, not Shekhenes HaGdola, that they taught us the idea of making Siog and Gedorim, Bishulakum, um, um, many of the halachas that we have are all based on making gedorim between us and the goyim libodim and goyim b'chol darcheirem. Sheyedin soki uachsenoi v'geberetz nachria. The Jews should be aware that we're only guests and temporary sojourners in a strange land. The rest of this meshachachma is famous because this is where the meshachachma in 1909, when I think was published talks about Berlin became the new Yerushalayim and he goes through the history and the cycle of Golos of our Jews coming to a land and they're very productive and very creative and they build the Koimis HaTayra and they build Binyanim of Tyra until they get settled and then they start plateauing a little bit and then they start declining and deteriorating until Hashem has to wake them up by sending a storm that will sweep them away similar to the Spanish expulsion of the Jews became very much part of the golden age of Spain and Spanish Jewry became part of the Spanish culture until Hashem made them feel unwelcome and they were expelled from Spain. It says the Meshachachma. People nowadays are saying Berlin is the new Yerushalayim because that's the fatherland. But then a sorrow, a storm is going to come and sweep away and we start over afresh. It says that's the cycle of Jewish goals that we become complacent, we get settled, and Hashem has to wake us up with a wake-up call. We get swept away. We then feel aliens in new land until we get comfortable there. And then again, Hashem has to sweep us away. That's the famous part of the Meshachachon. But what's more important is this part of the Meshachachon. Therefore, he explains last week's Parsha that by Parsha that Yaakov Avinu was so anxious to be buried in Canaan in order that he should be a symbol to Jewry. Don't feel complacent and comfortable in Egypt. You're not settled. You're not citizens, you're strangers. And sure enough, by Yakutsum if they Israel, and that was the schus that we were able to Loshinu Shmam. Loshinu Shmam means that they didn't change their identity. Loshinu Shmam, Loshinu Actually I saw brought down two aspects. 
that they didn't change their personal identity nor their national identity. Personal identity is symbolized by your name. Your name identifies who and what you are, labels you. Lashinus Lashoinam is the national identity. They didn't change not their personal identity nor their national identity. They felt to be constantly gayer. That was the source for the Kula. The whole idea of bris mila, if you look in the Sefer Achinuch all the way on the right in the middle, Mishroshe Mitzazul Fisharotza Shemiz Borach Likvoya Boom Asher Hivdil Lias Nikr al Shemoy Ois Kavua Begufam Labdilam Mishor Hoamim Bitsuras Gufam Kamoy Shemuvdolam Mehem Bitsuras Nafshoisam. They were different. The Yisrael says the, 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 the Sefer Achinuch of Bris Mila is to is to engrave is to engrave in our bodies and to etch into our very bodies the distinction of a Jew and a Goy not only physically and spiritually physically is representative of the spirituality when you think about it, the first mitzvah that Klai was given as Jews is the mitzvah of Bris Milam and your Chayv Chorus it's a mitzvah say that your Chayv Chorus that you violate likewise Korban Pesach is also Chayv Chorus if you violate it. Those are two mitzvah the only two mitzvah in the Torah that have a chiyuv of chorus for violation of a mitzvah Usually you need a lav to be Chayv Chorus. There's only two places where you have a chiyuv chorus and mitzvah Brismila and Korban Pesach. And the reason is because both represent mishchu khu to withdraw from the goyim around you. One is personal, the other is national. Korm Pesach is, is um, Chazal tell us, it's done in a whole group. It's a national mitzvah, but it's a national withdrawal from the surrounding society. A bris is personal, etched in the body, and you can't do a bris, you can't do Korm Pesach without bris Again, the same idea. The second mitzvah in the Torah, Puravu, in the second mitzvah is bris that means the Torah considers this concept of Jewish separateness and uniqueness and apartness from the nations of the world so fundamental that the most fundamental of mitzvahs of Klal Yisrael is separateness. Have a brismila, be unique, be separate, be apart. Korban Pesach, if you want Kuula, you have to withdraw from the society around you. So the essence of bris, as we said earlier, refers to Tarshaval Pah. Was what did we say last week? The Tarshav was translated into Greek and into Latin and into English, and the Goyim were shoyled on Tarshav not Tarshav Alpen. It means Hashem is saying that a bris, a separateness, is only Tarshav Alpen, because that's what's going to make you distinct and unique. So the idea of being unique and distinct is fundamental in the Torah, the very first mitzvah given to us as Jews, bris milah. The second mitzvah of the Torah, of, to give to Avram Avinu, as Klal Yisrael, is uniqueness and distinctness in the very body, physically, physically. Just like we are spiritual. That's Korb Pesach as well. Yaakov Avinu, in order to drive home this Nakuda in Golos, says, bury me in Eretz Yisrael, that every Jew should know Yaakov is buried in Eretz Yisrael, that's where we got to go. Yosef says, Poka Yivkoi, as well. Therefore, was a way of maintaining this identity and as we said it was an identity both personal 
that was a national identity. That was the merit for the Gula, the distinctness and the apartness that the Jews have, as we see in both in Torah in terms of the whole idea of bris, which is apartness, uniqueness, brismila is in the Guf. Chukas Akum, therefore, is related to this idea. Chukas Akum extends it, of course, on a smaller level, to what's beyond the body, which is clothing, hairstyle. In other words, if Brismila represents a physical distinction of a Jew and a guy, make a physical distinction with the Brismila. This, of course, answers the question of why we're not born with the Bris. The Kasha, they said, that if a Bris is so important, why aren't we born with the Brismila? If that's the perfection, that's what the guy turns Rufus asked Rabbi Akiva, correct? Turns Rufus asked Rabbi Akiva. So he gives all kinds of answers, and we have all of the mystical, metaphysical answers of the Shleimus Adam and all this. But here's Pasha. The idea of bris is bris, a treaty, a covenant, which takes two parties to it. it if you're going to be born with it, say you're born with the shlemus, but you're not born with the distinctness. No, no, you have to etch it into your own body. You have to engrave it into your own body that you're distinct and apart from the God. You have to do an act. Mishchu ukhu. Mishchu You have to be moishich yad from the God. You have to be make a bris meal in the body to make it as a bris. To make it as an apartness and a separateness from the goyim, you have to do it in your body. That's what a bris is. That we should be apart from the goyim. Chukizako is the same idea. You have to avoid any kind of imitation of the goyim in order that we should be apart from the goyim. Therefore, by extension, you have the neshama, the clothing of the neshama. We want to discuss this the context of the Nefesh HaChaim and Adam Rishon Koyim HaChait that before the Chait Adam Rishon wasn't naked I once heard this from a Baruch Saratzkin in the name of his father Zalman Saratzkin that what Pshat Yaakov that Adam Rishon felt naked after he ate from the Eitz Adas before he didn't there's a lot of understandings of it, but he pointed out this to Kudam before the Chait from the Eitz Adas Adam Rishon's essence his identity was his Neshama so what was the goof? It was a lavush. It was like, a, like when you're inside of a robot and every time you move, the robot arm moves. He was a neshama. The neshama inhabited the goof. So the neshama had clothing. The clothing was the goof. Because his real essence was a neshama. The body was merely the garb and the clothing of the neshama. He wasn't naked. After the chait of the Eitz where his goof becomes him and he and the neshama become one entity, now he's naked. Now that the goof is him, now you need something to clothe your body. Because now he's naked. So clothing is the next phase. But the goof becomes you. So the midst of the rice of Brismila, which is essential, it's a mitzaseh, and it's chorus, that's in the goof. Now you get into the clothing that surrounds the goof. There the isr is somewhat more diminished, but the concept is the same. The idea behind it is the exact same as Brismila. The same idea. It's just one step down. It's now the garb, the clothing, and the styles, and the hairstyles. The hairstyles, the clothing, and the peripherals that surround you. But it's the same concept. An additional feature in Chukas Akum is the Avodazar aspect. But again, it's one level reduced. Because it's not proper Avodazar, it's the imitation of Goyim, as we'll see later on, the parameters, the guidelines of what makes 
Chukas Akum into into Avod Zor. Uh, the relationship between Avod Zor and Chukas Akum. But now we run into the question: If this is true, that it's so important to retain our identity, so how come nowadays? And this is more than just nowadays; it's historical as well. Throughout history, we know if you go through the Zugais, if you go through the Zugais, you have Antigonus Yisoichai. Antigonus is not a Jewish name. It was a Greek name. We find even in more modern times amongst the Rishonim, certainly amongst the Amoroim, Rav Svid, Ahuna, Papa, Aramaic names. Throughout history, Jews had Goyish names. But this Lukhari becomes a question as to nowadays about Jewish names and Goyish names. Let's first take a brief look at what Ramayisha says, and then we'll take a look at the morale. Ramayisha I have it here, it's basically in two places. First, let's take a look at the one on top. This is from Evan Ezra, Chayel Gimel, Simen Lamedei. He agrees with you that it is not appropriate. Obviously, conceptually, it's very important. We don't find not even in the abundance. And therefore, it's like Lashinus Lashinum, which is one of the things for the Gula as well. And we see that even though there's a mitzvah Lashna Kaidish, as the Sifri says, which is where we learn out that Allah is supposed to teach your children right away. Lashna Kaidish, that's why they teach kids Taratzibul on the Maisha and the Olive Bays. There's no issue to speak Gaish languages. Because we find throughout history Jews spoke the Gaisha languages. And many of them were not even proficient in Lashna Kaidish. He brings down the Pirish of the Rambam that says that other than we find Mamish Lashna Kaidish in the Psukim, we've lost. We've lost the real original Lashna Kaidish. Obviously, because it was because of disuse. They only learned the Chumash, the Tanakh. The Maisi says Lashna Kaidish was also forgotten. They didn't speak Lashna Kaidish. It says Nefshur regarding Lashin with Shmoison. Therefore, even though it's not Oster, it's only a mile of Gedoyah, that's referring to the fact that throughout the generations, he assumes that the Gedolim were against using Gaisha languages until it somehow got incorporated. Once it got incorporated, it, uh, it um, became part of it. If you look in the Igris Moshe or Chaim Chel Dalsim Samchvom on the bottom right, he repeats the same thing, he just adds a few points to it. Originally, the were against using Gaisha names. But then, it became somehow incorporated amongst Jews at Shinikur Tvar, the such as by women's names, even more so. Like we find by Bnei Ashkenaz. He brings down that the Balmagid Mishnah was Rabbeinu Vidal, that's, that's a Goyesha name. Kama Goinim, a lot of the Goinim had Aramaic names. He says even the name Maimon, the Rambam's father, was a Goyesha name. It was also 
a Goyish name. Therefore, it says, Shalom, Lonu, Loima, that they did something improper. Again, so it depends at what stage in history of an incorporation, if you start calling yourself John instead of Yechelen, it's a problem. After a while, Alexander becomes so Jewish, and, and Isaac and Zalman become so Yiddishized, it's, and same thing with, with clothing styles, it's like clothing styles. But now, he says this in the Kudu. The question is, I, it says, Lashinu Hashemam in the Medrash. So look, look in the next piece here from Rabbi Moshe. This is taken from a later paragraph in the same simon. That goals with trying that they didn't change the name only applies that clients saw before they had the Torah, they had no other way of making a distinction. They didn't have any other real mitzvahs that made them apart and distinct from the Goyim. Right, good, but that might be an exception because it's uh, Hashem himself called her because Basia called her that. That might be an exception. Forget Hashem says, I want to call precisely the Dafka by the name that, that, that she raised him with. Well, that's an exception. Except for Brismila. Except for Brismila. Again, Basalevi goes with the whole thing that, that Klal Yisrael abolished the Brismila, at least on the Drabon level. What they did was they wanted, they were afraid of anti Semitism, and to battle anti Semitism, what they did was they would surgically recreate the Orla after they would have a bris in order that they should look like the guy. They thought that was going to save them from anti-Semitism. Instead, Hashem says, says, Hashem caused them to hate the Jews more because they wanted to be like... So the Beis goes through a different tact than this. But he's saying over here, at least initially, I suppose, that this was something which they, which they retained. Forget Chazal said by the end, this was one of the few things that they retained. I guess Brismila Taka they didn't retain. But this was a, a um, resid, residual um, of, the, of this idea. And therefore he says, forget it, he says, they, they didn't have other mitzvahs. They actually were oivet avoy the Zara. Because Mishruk, who we have to then later on, we find that, that, that they have to, as a result, um, by the Korban Pesach. He says they abolished the bris. Therefore, we find that they abolished the Bismillah. They wound up serving idols. They had nothing else. And we find in the Midbar again, Yeshua had to give them Bismillah. Other than Shevet Levi, the majority of the Jews abolished the Bismillah. And it goes on. So therefore, Apparently, they lost a lot of their of their distinctiveness in Yiddishkeit, but they still retained the emuna of Gula. And really, when you think about it, that was the point of the Meshachachma. The Meshachachma said that Jews had to feel, we don't belong here. For that, they had to think in terms of Yaakov Avinu's burial in Canaan, and what Yosef Atzadik told them, Pokoi Yivkoi. In fact, what was the simon of the Gaul in this week's Parsha Shemois? Poka Yivkoi. Poka Yivkoi became by them a mantra that this is what's going to keep them with the hope of Gaulah. So they lost everything else. They already offered avoid the Zara. They already abolished the Prismila. But they still retained a little bit of that hope of Gaulah. They already meant the Shari Tumor. Meant the Shari Tumor means that they were almost Egyptian. The hope of the Gaul was manifest in the names. 
That's what it was. The hope of Kula that you're yearning for Pokot Yivkot, that Yosef tells him and Yaakov told him, was retained with the shame. So the Chazal say it was these things that made the Gula. Chazal are pointing out the importance of it. That even after they lost. So they're already in Memphis Shari Tuma. What was that last Shar that they didn't have? This is it. This was the Shar Nun that, that kept them from falling all the way into the pits, into the Ghanim. They already met the Shari Tuma. They lost already. But they had that hope of Gula. Says the Meshachachma, that hope of Gula was placed in them, was entrenched in them by Yaakov Avinu saying, bury me in their straw, by Yosef saying, As a result, it was manifest in the Lashin Washma. That last vestige, that last vestige of connection. It's like now, you know, you, you go into certain cultures and amongst the Muranos, it was like some sort of a vestige of the fact that they were Jews 500 years ago. By Muranos, they find these Murano communities up until very recent times. They found Murano communities. One of the things interesting is always lighting candles Friday night. It's not even a derisa. I mean, it's certainly not a derisa. It's a drabona, it's an Indian, whatever it is. But some things become a vestige. The idea of lighting candles Friday night. It's hard to tell what it is. So when Chazal are pointing out Lashin Lashmam, and this is an important concept in general which we have to realize. It doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, it's the rice, it's on the same level. People will make fun nowadays of, you know, uh, let's, say, let's take an example. I mean, you have this question sometimes asked pretty often. Well, what's so terrible about marrying a guy if you're already Michal Shabbos? I mean, Bias Akum, as bad as it is, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's maybe chorus midivay Kabbalah or midivay Seifer. It's Kanoi Poygin boy, whatever it is. It's, it, it's a Chayve Krisus. Because the Novi says so. But it's certainly not It's not It's not like It's not It's not even like Nida. Nida is worse. So what? It's better for uh, Yid to marry a non from a Jewish girl where they will not keep Taras and Mishpacha rather than marry a guy that at least there won't be a problem of Hilchas Nida. Or less. So why are we encouraging all non from a Jews to marry Jewish women, let him marry a guy for yeah, it's less of an Isra. Territus of the Rambam says, because the Indian behind it is much more powerful. It shows your connection. Again, I don't want to get into that whole Arichas, but I'm just showing you that you can have certain concepts that you can't knock simply because it doesn't compare to something on a derisive level. And Chazal are pointing out the same thing with Loshinu Shmam. It doesn't mean Loshinu Shmam is a mitzvah derisive, saying, look how Hoshim it is that Loshinu Shmam, that was all they had left. It's not saying, this is such a great merit that we have to be careful. It's saying that even this is so Hoshim that it kept them, you know, unique enough and apart and separate enough for to have a gula. So let's learn from this how important it is. Let's learn how important it is to have Jewish names because. This little bit, even though it's not a derisive, it's not even a derabonah, it's not an Isra Bechlau, it's only an Inyan. But even this Inyan was enough to keep them, to learn the Hashivas of the Inyan from the fact that it was an Inyan worthy enough of Gula. It's not on the level of a derabonah or a derisive. But see how Chosh of the Inyan is. Therefore says Ramayushan that this was something which Chazal said 
בשביל אמונו שיגאלו that they had, that they held out this hope for Gula, that they wanted to be distinct and apart. They had this hakpodah. They abolished, listen to what's happening. The Jews are mem tesharei tumah. That means they're already worshipping Avayi Zara. They abolished the brismila, but they kept the Jewish name. And it was enough for Gula, because it showed that they held out the hope we're still strangers. We're still different than the Egyptians. We're not quite Egyptians. We're different enough. We're still holding out the hope for a gu'ula. And as a result of that gu'ula, we'll be able to, to, to return. So that hope, that hold out of hope for gu'ula, they were mocked on the, on the, on the shame. But once already have mocked and tired. So now already the Indian becomes less of an Indian also. So not only is it not a din, not only is it not a drabonon or a derisim, but even the toichen of the inyan, even the content of the concept, is less important once you have tayag mitz that surround you anyway. So we don't have this obligation obligatorily in terms of the chiyuv, nor in terms of zehirus and musr conceptually. Whatever the derives of the Rabbanans are, and there are the Rabbanans, Bishulakum, Cholavakum, a little bit, uh, certainly Stamyenum, whatever it is. Ukufishinam, Tarshabal Peh, Tarshabiksav, Tarshabal Peh, keep us apart from the Goyim. That's Chukas Akum, that's the derives of Chukas Akum, if you're in violation of Chukas Akum, you get Malkus. Therefore, they weren't so mocked on the Shinu Hashem. Because from Sinai we were taught not only Tarshav Iksav and Tarshav Alpeh and Mitzvahs and Isurim, but even Inyonim were taught in Sinai. Where do we get that idea? That says that the Bartanur in the beginning of the beginning of Pirkei Ovis says, why is Pirkei Ovis start off with Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai when all of Pirkei Ovis deals with Inyonim Musr to teach us that the Inyonim Musr of Pirkei Ovis is not just stam stuff that you're going to find in the Chinese fortune cookie you know looks like Pirkei Ovis it's different it's Torah Misinai if you look in Irving Bunim he calls his commentary on Pirkei Ovis ethics from Sinai because the idea is that there's such a concept as ethics from Sinai not just Chinese fortune cookies and it sounds good and sounds right it's ethics from Sinai. So even in Yonin, Musr and Zahirus were taught me Sinai. And as a result, this Shinwa Shmom wasn't there. So therefore, says, apparently they didn't even have a Kabbalah on this. That there's a Mailul Achimat Torah. El Shabizchuzzeh, Nigulu Avuseinu, Shef Shilfarash, Vayim Mailul Vodavar Torah, Brak And as we just pointed out in Cheshvin, for them it was crucial. They had nothing else. This was their only connection. So yeah, Chazal are telling us it's a Mailul. And it doesn't mean it's not a mile today. But the the importance of the content of retaining the name is less important today when we are surrounded with Tariag Mitzvah and many Mitzvah that retain our identity. It's not as crucial. But it was a mile. But for them it was a mile that Ershtens was crucial. It was important. Secondly, see how important even this kind of a mile is that it could lead to Gula. But after Matan Torah, it's different. It says, Vashem Mustafa came as the Fiend Lord, Mr. Lord, Rise, Gadosh, Rav Mesh is still a little bit 
hesitant to say the Torah thing. Yeah, he, he kind of limits the Dover Maguna. He's saying, so you have to understand, like any concept that has to be applied by yourself where there's no fixed parameters and guidelines in halacha, you have to really apply it. Someone is now calling himself Shlomo Zalman or Yitzhak Isaac, and especially when you're calling yourself after an ancestor, there is nothing really there of his boilers, of assimilation. But when, when Yoshua in the days of the Greeks became called Jason, it was done with this intent. And it led to the next thing which was surgical re, uh, redoing the orla. So sometimes it is that. Sometimes it is. The, the guidelines are very fluid and constantly moving. You're constantly moving the guidelines because of the surrounding considerations. Alexander, which they had a reason why they incorporated thence, according to the Midrashim, now certainly is there. Uh, certainly, if you call yourself Maimon, you're not doing it for his boilers. They're going to call you, even now, uh, so-called Jewish names like Irving and Stanley and whatever. Yeah, the Hebrew names of, 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 of Noshim is certainly like that, Brazel and Bela. In fact, Bela I saw comes from a French Bella something or other, which means very beautiful. And that's where the Yiddish Bela comes from. But you call yourself Bela, it's a very traditional name. Yenta. Uh, Yenta is the most famous name of all. Where does Yenta come from? Yenta comes from the Golos Sforat, from the Grushe Sforat. That when they left Spain and they moved to Eastern Europe, they retained the Spanish name Juanita. Juanita. Juanita became a Jewish name, became Yenta. So again, you have to put it into context because there's no Isser Be'etzin. Because the Isser is not Be'etzin, the Isser is conceptual. You call your daughter Yenta. The, this Indian is not there. But you're going to call yourself, um, you know, what? Yenta. I, I heard different explanations, but one of them is that it's Juanita. But the point really is that Gittel is Yiddish. It's, you know, but if someone calls themselves the current names, um, I don't know what's current right now, but uh, I always think of John and whatever it is. So that's more of an Indian. The Indian is still there. And the Indian is very Hoshim. And maybe the Indian crosses the boundary into Dover Maguna. So you can have the Indian, it's not an Isser, not the Rice and not the Rabbana. But the Indian could be a Dover Maguna, or it could be a Maila Taiva, or it could even be less than that. So that you have to work with, with the circumstances and the societal issues. But it's very important this Ramayusha, to recognize the concept as well as to recognize the Halacha and the distinction between. The morale just adds one to Kudla, take a look in the morale of Gvurus Hashem. His boilers. Assimilation. He says the morale, Perish Hamayim Razeki, Gvulushal Mitzrayim, Hoyo Bishlushal Yimizachim. Again, this is typical morale fashion. That Kalyasov didn't become joined with the Egyptians as one. Him Hoyo Mitzrayim and Mitzrayim, they would become as one. Well, you saw his Chabrus in a Mitzrayim, Lahoyo if they would join as one with the Egyptians, they could never leave. They could never. They could never have Gula. They're part of it. They would call themselves by the Galatian names. Then they never would have been able to be redeemed. There would be no Gula because they would have become so joined and connected with the Egyptians that there could be no possibility for Gula. Since they're they become as one. But again. 
this is only and Lachain Omar Elohai Nishal Yisrael Shmo Mo Atzmi Ulishoyim Mo Atzmi Bishar Dovah Shu Atzmi they wouldn't retain their identity of themselves Lo Lehem Lo Lehem Lo Hoi Lehem Aschol Gula they couldn't have a Gula to begin with Kikvar Nishtanu Lagamri Bein Lehem Aschol Gula therefore Chazal Seib Bishos Abo Advarim Nigel Mitzrayim Kinachshoy Yandim Tzayim Lo Kama Goli Ah she says like this. So it comes out that, as we pointed out, once they're already on Memtashare Tumah, and this is their only connection, so they wouldn't have this connection to be part of Mitzrayim. So they couldn't have a Gula. But then he adds one more in the Kudah. And that is, there's a big difference between being initially worthy of becoming taken apart from the Egyptians. Chazal say, L'hoitzi om mikerevon was like a birthing. Klal was an Ummah that was swallowed up in the womb of Egypt. And this was a birthing process, as we see in the Haggadah extensively in the Pesukim and Yecheskel, that referred to Gulas Yisrael as a birthing process. As a result, if Klal Yisrael wouldn't have had some schus such as this to retain their apartness, Boshin Shmam, they would have been worthy of an initial Gula. But now that we had the Gula, and we became an Am apart, we already became an Amsgula for recently Mamlechus Kayan Vukai Kotz. We became a nation apart. Once you're already a nation apart, and we already have Tayag mitzvahs that keep us apart, this no longer becomes the crucial necessity to to to, to maintain it. Once we're apart, he says. He says like my not like our Goliath today. She stroke Vainasulam. As it says, Now already, we're already apart from the nations of the world. In many places, refers to Klal Yisrael as a nation apart. There's no longer a possibility of us becoming part of them. So we can have Gula. We no longer need this particular schus to merit Gula. They didn't become a nation until they left. While they're in Mitzrayim, they were like Uber It was like a birthing process, and before they were taken out, it was like a rupture, like a trauma of childbirth. It was Chevleleida. Chazal referred to the the gulas he saw from Mitzrayim as Chevleleida, which is a birthing process. It's a rupture and a trauma, like a birthing process. As a result, this would have been impossible unless they would have had this this shim shmam, this shame atzmo, because they didn't become an am till they left. Till then, they weren't an am. Once they become an am and they are a nation apart, it's no longer as crucial because now they become an am. But once they could do tshuva and they could come back to being an am. What comes out from this is the importance of retaining the Jewish name. And it's a big union. There's no question about it. And it could be a Dover Maguna. It's certainly a Maile Yisera. And a person has to preserve his Jewish identity and his Jewish name. Certainly if it's done with the intent of his boils, of, of assimilation or of trying to be like the guy. The Maram Shik takes a little bit of a different tack. He goes into the importance of a Jewish name. He had a Maisi, writes in his tshuva that 
that a guy asked one of the Gaish authorities, he says, all the nations are proud of their identity. How come Jews have so many Gaish names? And because that he wrote Shuvahs on the Indian of retaining the Jewish name, in fact, even when they passed laws to that Jews have to have surnames, last names, his father chose as his surname, Shik. Why Shik? Rosh of Shem Yisrael Kaidish. Shem Yisrael Kaidish. That's why it's called the Maram Shik. It's called the Maram Shik, Shem Yisrael Kaidish. And he wrote many chuvas about how important Again, there are many halachic differences as to some hold that maybe it is a Nisr. But the importance of it is unquestioned. This is the Medrash. But the question is, how come the Maizid wasn't necessarily kept? Says Rav Moshin, we see from the Maral the same idea. From the Meshachachma, we see how important these ideas are to retain our unique identity. And Lashinu Hashmom was that. But the Maral explains that nowadays we need it less than then. A, because we were already a nation, whereas then we were not yet a nation. B, because now we have Torah Mitzvahs. As Rav Moshin says, we have all of these other things. Therefore, it's a mildly say or no question. And it could be a Dover Maguna depending on the concept, depending on the attitudes involved. But it's not an Isra Lalocha. We'll have to stop with this because we can't do any more.